with you tonight. It is always an honor and a privilege anytime you're invited to come to a congregation and present a lesson, but there are some dates that you look forward to more than others, and this is one that I've looked forward to because of my love for you, uh, my love for this church, and so very much thankful to be with you here tonight. A um, little bit about what's going, been going on with us. We made a wedding last summer. And this summer had gotten a little bit boring, so we're selling our house now. And uh, so we're packing boxes in our spare time, and that's, that's been our stressor for this summer. And uh, so hopefully all that will be done very soon. The other thing I wanted to do as I started tonight was to say thank you to you all as a church for what you continue to do in working with us to train preachers and Bible teachers and missionaries down at school at Heritage Christian. We're very excited about that. Dan's going to be with us in the fall. We're excited about that as well. Um, but if you go to the next slide, I would also ask that you continue to remember us in your prayers. Uh, Dennis Jones, our president, he retired back in April. And so my interim preaching ministry sort of thing, now I'm doing interim work in my day job as well, and uh, we've been asked to lead as a team while the board begins a search for a new president, and we've got a lot of good things going on, and our goal is to keep the momentum positive, keep things moving in the right direction, so that they can take as long as they need to make the right choice regarding our new president, and so uh, that's the interim leadership right now. If you go to the next slide... Make sure I know what's coming up there. What you've helped accomplish through your support and the church helps and some of you have helped individually, but in the last three years, 64 students have graduated and if each of those can serve about 40 years in the kingdom, uh, you're helping produce 2,500 years worth of preaching and ministry and saving souls and that's the kind of return on your investment that you're getting through supporting what we do down at Heritage Christian. The last thing I'll say about what's going on down there with us is about the Heritage event coming up on August 26th. Uh, we're going to welcome Riders in the Sky, a Grammy award-winning musical group, and they will be good and they will be fun. And then I realize not many of you probably care about Eli old, uh, but he is the radio voice of Alabama football, and he will be our speaker that night. He's also done a lot of other uh, broadcasting. I have some NASCAR fandom in my history, and he's done a lot of NASCAR stuff, and so I'm really looking forward to that. But if you ever come down once, it's the kind of thing you'll want to come to every year. We have a great time, and there are some brochures about that out in the lobby, as well as some uh, ink pens. Those are there for you. But uh, please do keep the, the, the work in your prayers. If you got your Bible, you may want to open it to John chapter 4. Very familiar text. A text that is a favorite of many people. Uh, and as we begin to set up the thought for tonight, I would ask you this. Do you know your elevator speech? And you may, you know, you may be young and not working yet. You may work in a company where they want you to know an elevator speech. I work at Heritage, and so my elevator speech is, we prepare those who will then prepare others for eternity. I mean, that's what it's about when you're preparing people for ministry. You're preparing people who will then devote their lives to helping prepare others to be in heaven. I mean, that's what we do if you really boil it down. An elevator speech is about, if I've got to be trapped on an elevator for one minute with somebody, can I help that person understand who I am and what I do? And so you may have to do that for your job, but what I'm really asking you to think about is, do you have an elevator speech regarding your real purpose in life, your real reason 
for being on this planet. Because a major aspect of our study out of John chapter 4 tonight is going to be geared around getting us to look into this text and cause us, because of the text, to be reminded of and to think about our purpose for being here. Uh, commentator John Butler, he refers to John chapter 4 as being a gold mine. And I, I would agree with that, and you probably would as well, because of all that's in there. In John 4, you can find the humanity of Jesus on display. You find the deity of Jesus on display. Uh, the, the universal nature of the gospel on display. I mean, he's sharing good news with a Samaritan woman. Uh, spontaneous evangelism. Uh, a discussion about true worship and what that's all about. A missionary sort of vision. And so, all these things. And see, I would also add to this gold mine. One of the other things we see in this chapter is that even back then, one of the things that uh, plagued followers of Jesus then still plagues us today, it is easy to completely miss the point about what's most important. And there's a great lesson on that in this chapter. Now the centerpiece is this life-changing encounter where Jesus engages this Samaritan woman in a conversation, a life-changing conversation, and He uses His physical need for water. He's tired and thirsty. He uses that to launch a conversation to, uh, about living water, the kind that provides eternal life. And so as we think about this interaction, we see Jesus, He doesn't allow His physical need to prevent Him from getting to a conversation about what's most important, doesn't remove His focus from fulfilling a spiritual need. And so in one sense you could say His application to the elevator speech is His ability to take whatever the scenario is and use that scenario to engage someone in a conversation that is spiritual. I wonder, though, how often we forget about our purpose. The idea of maybe we've got an opportunity to engage someone regarding something that is spiritually important, but we don't take that step. And there's a peril in us not knowing or not remembering why we're here. I mean, we know why we're here, but sometimes we don't let it be front and center. All the way back in 1963, there was a, a sign posted on a church building and it said, going out of business, didn't know what our business was. Well, I've got to believe that it may not get posted on a sign outside of a church building today that way, but we've got some churches that are going out of business. And a lot of reason, in a lot of cases, I believe it's because they've kind of lost focus on what their business was. Got a call a few weeks ago. The phone saying, listen, I was wondering if you might have a student that's needing to maybe get some practice preaching, somebody who's just getting started, and we need those kind of calls and those kind of opportunities. But then as he talked, I, you know, when a student goes out, I need the student to be encouraged. This guy says, yeah, it's, I'm the only male left in the church. There are six of us now, and we are committed to keeping these doors open. And I'm, you know, and I'm not saying it out loud to this guy, but I'm thinking I'm really not sure that our purpose is just to make sure that we keep these doors open. And in his case, there is a vibrant church three miles down the road. But he's going to keep doors open with six people. Going out of business because we didn't know what our business was. 
See, for a church to know and embrace its purpose, its business, every member of the body, every one of us as family need to be plugged in, we need to be thinking about what we're doing, and and the church can do amazing things when everyone understands uh, what's going on and why. Those of you who remember the Gulf War, Arnold Schwarzkopf was asked about that in an interview, and he was asked about, okay, in Vietnam there was great confusion, and, and, and then in the Gulf War uh, there was a, a very decisive outcome. And, you know, and so you, what caused this, and his quotes should be up, is, is up there right now, but he says, in Vietnam we did not understand why we were there. In Desert Storm we knew we were there to get the Iraqis out of Kuwait. And then he said, people can do amazing things when they know what their purpose is. And so we serve an amazing God. He wants to do amazing things in this world. And He wants to do amazing things through us. And our purpose really isn't all that complicated. I mean, you could say a lot of different things, but what we're really about is helping people go to heaven. I mean, if you want to really boil it down, we want to make sure we're there, and we want to make sure that we're doing everything we can to help other people be there as well. And I mean, that's really what it boils down to. And so in John 4, through this narrative, we're going to see Jesus help us understand our purpose. As we dive in, though, I want to take one more little detour. I want to play a game of make-believe. The idea that maybe if we could somehow lay down and take a nap, and I'm not encouraging you to go to sleep right now. If you do, just don't snore. But if we could take a little nap and then while we're asleep, receive a heart transplant. And when we wake up from this nap, the the, the heart that we now have is the heart of Jesus. Not the heart that we have right now with all of its flaws and all of its limitations, but we wake up and we truly have the heart of Jesus. What might change about our lives? And what might change about our focus? And what might change about our purpose because you got to remember that while Jesus is here, Jesus is human. Jesus shows up at this well, verse 6 of John 4. Uh, Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well about the sixth hour. He has been walking and he is tired. He is human. And you remember Hebrews 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. He's able to understand our plight and and where we are and all those things while he's here. He is dealing with all these human temptations that we do. He just never gives in. So he's got distractions. He's got people who are hating him, taking shots at him, not respecting him. All the things that might cause us to lose focus, he never messes up. And then his purpose, you know, we know John 3 verse 16, but then 3.17, this purpose statement, for God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. So Jesus, why why are you here? Well, uh, I'm here to allow people to have an alternative to being lost forever in hell. I'm here to provide people with the opportunity to go to heaven. Um, I'm here that the world through me might be saved. I mean, Jesus, that's His purpose. And everything about his life revolved around that. Everything he did, everywhere he went, people that he engaged in conversation like our woman in, in, in this text tonight, 
Everything was focused on the need for people to one day be in heaven. And he did have distractions. I heard one preacher say he had 12 of them. We call them apostles. I mean, you notice about uh, when you see Jesus interacting with His guys, they are often doing everything they can. They don't know they're doing this, but they're doing everything they can to derail what He's trying to accomplish. And yet He never loses focus. And so let's notice His purpose demonstrated. He's passing through Samaria. We read verse 6. He's tired. He hasn't eaten apparently. And He's thirsty. And so, even in that, when you're tired, maybe you worked outside today. And maybe you came in after a long day. When we're tired and when we're run down, is that the time that we really want to go out of our way for somebody else? And we might do it for a friend, we might do it for a family member, but, but to go out of our way when we're hot, thirsty, and tired for a stranger. You know, that, that's when it gets really, am I really invested in trying to do what's best for other people? people that I don't know, because that's what he's doing here. And so then notice the exchange begin to occur. Verse 7, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. It's an interesting conversation starter. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman? And then, of course, in the New American Standard, you've got parentheses and it says, For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And so it's a completely unexpected conversation for this woman. She's likely not even thirsty. She's just there getting water, as is her custom. And the reason this is all unexpected is because of who the Samaritans were. Uh, the scholars tell us that after having taken most of the northern kingdom away into slavery and captivity, the Assyrians imported some foreigners into Samaria to intermarry with these few Jews who were left. And so after they intermarried and started having kids, you ended up with these half-breed sort of Jewish people. They were sort of partly Jewish they were Samaritans. They weren't respected by full-blooded Jews. And the Samaritan religion had come along and was actually very close to what Moses had handed down. It, it probably had some elements of paganism laced into it. We know the Samaritans in Ezra 4, uh, they actually showed up and said, hey, can we help with the rebuilding uh, of, the, of the temple? And um, the Jews were like, oh, no way. You're not genuine. You're not, you're not us. You can't help. And so it's at that point that Manasseh goes and he builds this revival temple at Gerizim. And so here's this, this person, this woman. The other thing about women in that day, some Jewish men, it was customary, they wouldn't speak to any woman out in public. Not even their own wife, their own kids. You, you just was, you didn't speak to a woman. And so here's Jesus, hey, give me a drink. And so she's astonished and she very quickly brings this up. You know, how is it that you being a Jew would, would dare even to talk to me? There's so much going on here. How easy would it have been for Jesus just to pass on the opportunity? It would have been considered 
politically correct to pass on the opportunity to not say a word, to not ask, to not speak. No one would have thought twice about it. You get the idea. There's probably not even an audience here. They're probably by, their, by themselves. There's, you don't get the idea that other people are around. But it would have considered, been considered normal and appropriate for him to completely ignore her. See, one of the weaknesses of mine is that I let too many opportunities pass me by. And maybe that's something that challenges all of us from time to time. But Jesus didn't let the opportunity pass. And in this we're reminded. See, His his purpose in being here, it wasn't simply to coexist. It wasn't just to do life and not make people mad. It wasn't to do life and, and just be accepting of everybody. His purpose in being here was to provide this opportunity for salvation and to have this opportunity provided. Sometimes you've got to build a relationship. And to build a relationship, you've got to start a conversation. And so He starts a conversation. Let's notice verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked Him and He would have given you living water. She said to Him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? You're not greater than our our father Jacob, are you, and who gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and, and his cattle? Jesus answered and, and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give you will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way uh, here to draw. You know, she's, she's sarcastic with him still at the end. If you can give me this water, that'd be great because then I won't have to come do this work anymore. But you've got to love the statement from Jesus. If you only knew, but you do not, who it is, He would have given you living water, but He cannot because you know Him not. You know, the comments made, no man can receive living water until he knows Jesus. And that's what's on display here. And she says, well, are you claiming to be someone special? And she's still sarcastic. And so Jesus changes the tone of the conversation in verse 16. He said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You've correctly said, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband. This you have said truly. Of course, we've talked even together about this before. This is where Jesus kind of jumps her. This is where Jesus kind of helps her realize he's not just some guy asking for a drink of water. He knows what's going on in her life. He knows that her life is a mess. And she says in verse 19, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. She doesn't deny her life. She doesn't deny the way she's living. But she doesn't discuss the way she's living either. She changes the subject. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when uh, neither in this mountain nor uh, in Jerusalem will worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is a spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ... When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, 
am He. It's an interesting subject change. It's away from her messed up personal life over to her frustrations religiously. And I think there's some significance in that because as we engage people in conversation, have you run into anybody who's frustrated religiously because things get taught in various ways and people don't know what to believe and so you engage into a conversation and they're not sure what's right and and that's kind of where she's going. She's kind of frustrated by trying to figure out what's right. And Jesus begins to point to this idea that, hey, in the future there's a day coming soon when it's not going to be about where you show up to worship. What God's going to look for are people who are going to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And it's not going to be about whether you're in Jerusalem or whether you're over on this mountain. He's opening the door to the idea that the good news of the gospel is that salvation is for everyone. But see, it's not unusual for us today to run into people who have some frustrations about how do I really follow God? And we've got to be able to take them into Scripture. So Jesus provides this woman with opportunity and she seems to really buy in immediately. I mean, many uh, are going to be believers because of her reaction, her response to the conversation with Jesus. She is going to go into town, she's going to testify, she's going to tell her story, and later in John we're going to be told that many other people are going to come to believe in Him because of her, because of what she goes and, and, and talks about. And so that's all very important. It's Scripture. But we also need to make sure that what we talk about tonight is very, very relevant to us in 2017. And in this room tonight, most of us are already Christians. Most of us have experienced this living water. We have committed our lives to Christ. And so what I'd like to do in the few minutes we have left is spend some time considering whether or not this living water is continuing to have the effect on us that God wants it to have. Because there's a second conversation in this text. There's a conversation that Jesus is about to have with people who are already followers, the people who've already bought in, the the guys that we would say are His inner circle. He's going to have a conversation with them. And this is the conversation that's kind of easy to skip over, but it may well be the conversation that's most relevant to us today. Verse 27, at this point his disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? You know, they're smart enough to realize there is no way that Jesus ought to be talking to this woman. This is, this is crazy. Has he lost his mind? He should not be talking to her. Have you ever not asked a question in some some forum because you maybe didn't want to be perceived as not knowing, you know, so we don't ask. I don't know if that's where they are. Most all of us have been there. We didn't ask the question. Then finally some brave soul raises their hand and asks the question and a bunch of people let out a huge sigh of relief because they all had the same question and nobody had the courage to ask it. These guys know something weird's going on. But instead of asking the right questions they get ready to make some small talk. The Samaritan woman, she's going to leave the scene. She's leaving her water pot. She's headed into town. She's got a story to tell. But these guys are going to miss the point. And they're not going to ask the right question. 
And without even realizing it, in one sense, they're kind of distracting Jesus from His mission. Verse 31, excuse me. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But He said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought Him anything to eat, did He? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. How often have we been in a conversation where we know there's something important we ought to talk about, but instead we choose to make small talk instead? And I'm not asking you to raise your hands, but I bet just about every one of us could because we will be in those situations where we know there's something really important, something that may have eternal implications that ought to be talked about, but we'll talk about the weather instead. In this case, they're not talking about the weather. Jesus, you look hungry. You know, you walked all the way up here, you really look like you need something to eat. And Jesus says, hey, my food is spiritual. Well, shouldn't somebody be getting this guy something to eat? And finally he says, my food, my purpose, is what he's really saying, is, is to obey without any limits, to, to finish the work, to accomplish what I've been put here to do. It's an elevator speech of sorts. And I mean, we can't read that without asking the question, have we embraced that? As Christians, is that the purpose that we've embraced for our lives? Because Jesus is calling us, He's going to call them, and through the text He calls us to share in that. And that's why this message and this text is important. Through this amazing act of obedience and selflessness, himself, leaving the Father's side, leaving heaven to come here. Jesus goes through all of this to make salvation available for you and available for me. And see, most of us, we've responded in a positive way to that. We've surrendered, we've been baptized, we're, we're in Christ, our sins have been washed away. But this request from Him for us to follow and to share and to embrace the work that He's left us to do, it's just as important as our initial decision to surrender our lives to Him. Here's another way to ask the question. As those who have experienced living water, do we now have a genuine... Now he says, you know, the water I give you, you'll never thirst again, but, but there is a kind of thirst that we're to have. Do we have a thirst for opportunity? And do we have a thirst for sharing the good news? And do we have a genuine thirst for souls? Because that's what he's calling us to. There was a contemporary Christian song a few years ago called Get to the Point. And some of the lyrics were, Get to the point. How have you changed? I was on sinking ground until he turned me around and now I know I'll never be the same. And it's, it's this song written from the standpoint of moving from a life of thinking about self to a life focused on minding my Father's business instead. But it's also a reminder that because of whose we are in Christ, we'd better now have this new elevator speech on life regarding why we're simply here. Not simply one we can quote, not simply words we can say, but a life that we live, a life that people can see. Because the call from Jesus, notice what he says in verse 35. Do you not say, 
For yet four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, that they're white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for the eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. He's calling his guys into the field. He's calling them out to go to work. What will we say that will make a difference in the life of someone that we meet? Is our food to do everything we can to obey without limits? Where is the best place that I can get myself involved in, in this, this field of service? You know, where is my area to best plug in and, and make a difference? Because it may be a little bit different for all of us. Because we all have our areas of strength and our areas of talent. But have we truly embraced this as our purpose? And it's an interesting thing because our Samaritan woman in the text, she, she seems to get it right away. She's been frustrated religiously and now she has this, this conversation where it sounds like there's something good on the horizon for her and she buys in and she wants to go tell somebody about it. And, and as we examine, as we go to the mirror, you know, are we more like her or is it possible that we're more like that inner circle where you know something important is going on but maybe we've missed the point? A guy named John Gardner was the founding chairman of an organization called Common Cause, and he said it's a rare and high privilege to help people understand the difference they can make, not only in their own lives, but also in the lives of others, simply by giving themselves. And he tells this story of a cheerful old man who used to ask the same question of just about every new person he would meet. He didn't, you know, it wasn't, how's the weather? The guy would ask this question, and it was unsettling. What have you done that you believe in and you are proud of? Well, that's a pretty good question. He says he never asked conventional questions about what do you do for a living. It was always what have you done that you believe in and that you're proud of. It was unsettling for people who had built their self-esteem on their wealth or their family name or their exalted job title. And it said not that the old man was a fear interrogator. He really didn't care how people responded. He, he was delighted by the woman who would say, hey, I'm doing a good job raising three kids, or the cabinet maker who said, you know, I do great work, or uh, the woman who said, hey, I started a bookstore and, and it's the best bookstore for miles around. He didn't care how they answered, he said. He just wanted to get them thinking about their purpose. He said they should live their lives in such a way that they can have a good answer. Not a good answer for me, but for themselves. That's what's important. See, I would add to that, we need to think in terms of having a good answer because of God. Because in the end, we've been called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. I want to take you to one other passage before we take our break and then later extend the invitation. But 1 Peter chapter 2, these words are, are familiar, but Peter's writing here, and it's interesting, he's one of these inner circle guys who's been through all of these missteps with Jesus. But he's going to later write, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps. And of course, he's writing some people who are actually going to suffer, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, 
And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Sometimes we sing that old hymn, The Footprints of Jesus. And we probably don't sing that one very often anymore, but one of the lines in that song when we sing it, we will follow the steps of Jesus where'er they go. That's a song of commitment. It's a song of affirmation. And hopefully it's one that we sing in spirit and in truth. And so as we get ready to take our break, a couple of questions. What most distracts you and me from our purpose? Is it sometimes too much career? Could it sometimes be too much fun? Uh, could it be too many shiny things that get dangled in front of us and you know they attract our attention over here? Or could I be asking, okay, in what ways have my priorities been misplaced? Have I raised up some idols in my life that maybe take precedence over this purpose that God wants me to commit to? Dan Rather, the news commentator, was said to have carried some reminders around with him. He little pieces of paper, kept one in his billfold, one in his pocket, one on his desk, and it asked one simple question. He's a news commentator. And so this little piece of paper, it asked the question, is what you're doing right now helping the broadcast? That's a pretty good question. Because there are a lot of things that I engage myself in that probably aren't helping my real purpose my real reason for being here. You know, if we brought in a consultant to analyze our lives where they had full access to calendar, full access to checkbook, full access to everything so that they could give us an honest assessment of who we are and what we're about, what would a consultant conclude is the most important thing about my life? And would it be this purpose that I've committed to? Again, in our session of Let's Pretend, would my purpose be any different if I could truly wake up tomorrow with the heart of Jesus? Is it time to break? A couple minutes? Okay, we'll do one more here. And sometimes we will try to convince ourselves that I'm not significant enough to make a difference in this, in this battle. If, as, as it were, or people aren't really seeking what it is that we're offering. I believe we've got to be the kind of folks who are convinced that people in and out of the church are desperately seeking purpose and meaning in their lives. About a decade ago, there was a book out by Rick Warren called The Purpose Driven What? Life. I just had to make sure you're still awake. And you remember what it was for a time, any store that sold books, that book was on the end cap, and your book doesn't get on the end cap if it doesn't sell, does it? Everybody wanted that book. It was an indication that he'd written something that resonated with people. There was a Gallup poll done. It's getting aged now, pretty old. But they ask about the seven greatest needs of the average American. 
the number one would not surprise us. Number one need was the need for food and shelter. You know, I need something to eat and I need a, you know, I need shelter. Those basic necessities of life are very important to me before I can focus on anything else. No surprise there. Number two was surprising though. Number two was the need to believe that life is meaningful and has a purpose. People are, they may not know that they're going to find it in the pages of Scripture. That's our job to help connect them. But we've got to believe that people are searching. Even 6 and 7 had ties to faith. Number 6, the greatest needs was the need to feel one is growing in faith. Number 7, the need for practical help in developing a mature faith. People are seeking. And we've been left in possession of what they're thirsty for or at least what we know, will quench that thirst. And so the question becomes, what are we going to do about helping share that good news? Let's pray together and then we'll take our break. God, we thank You for loving us and blessing us. We thank You for Jesus and what we can learn about how we need to live today through seeing His life and seeing His interactions. We're thankful for this Samaritan woman. We're thankful for her response. And we pray that as we live out the commitment that we've made, that it'll be the kind of commitment where we're more apt to start a conversation, more apt to share, more apt to look for those people who are seeking meaning and purpose for their lives so that your kingdom can grow, so that more people can be in heaven one day. We love you and we look forward to that day when we can be with you forever. And we offer up this prayer in Jesus' name. And amen. To have that marked. We've talked a lot tonight about purpose. And actually the first question related to will you fulfill your purpose is do you belong to Jesus tonight? Acts 4 verse 12 reminds us that there is no other name by which we find salvation. We must belong to Him if we want to go to heaven. And so you know, if you've heard the Word and you believe in that and you're ready to repent and confess the name of Jesus, we would love nothing more than to stay however long we need to stay tonight to see you immersed into the family of God. And so maybe you need to become a Christian. Most of us are. We've done that. And so the self-exam question is, can we honestly say that we're doing everything we can to try to have that heart of Christ? Is His purpose our purpose? Uh, You've got a typo in your lesson notes. There's a quote from Rick Warren, and I attributed it to The Purpose Driven Life, and it's actually from The Purpose Driven Church. It's a book that came out some years before The Purpose Driven Life. But Rick Warren said this, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said, while they're here, there are two things we can do. We can commit sin, or we can convert someone. And then he asked the question, which of those two things do you think we've been left here to do? Well, I'm pretty good at committing sin, and you may be as well, but that's not really what we've been left here to do, is it? We've been left here with this other purpose, this purpose of helping others find their way to heaven. And so tonight, if you think about your life, if you're not following in the Savior's footsteps in the way that that you believe you ought to. Maybe it's one of those where you go home and you make this personal commitment to do better. Maybe it's one where you need us as family to pray together over you. We're happy to do that. Maybe you just need a new elevator speech on life. 
the one that you can embrace and live out in a way that is pleasing before God. The Samaritan woman walked away with a victory story to tell. What story are we going to choose to tell day in and day out? If we can help you in any way tonight, please let that be known while we stand and while we sing. As the...